It is. It's me. It's TRG, the Rambling Gambler. Casino gambling is my side hustle, and this is my Casino Combat Podcast. That's podcast, spelled with a K, of course. Welcome to episode 14. Let's warn and protect everyone, and then get to the fun and games. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary persons, ostriches of the outback, this podcast discusses casinos and gambling. Gambling is a morally questionable life choice. Do not gamble with money you cannot afford to lose. Do not gamble with money you need to pay bills. My past performances are not indicative of anyone's future results, including my own. If you have a gambling problem, contact your local problem gambling hotline. If you do not know your local problem gambling hotline number, send an email to help at casinocombat.com. We will find that number for you and we will make it available to you. Everything I'm going to share with you in this podcast is based in fact. Names and dates have been altered to protect the innocent and the guilty. Minor items unrelated to outcomes may be omitted in the interest of brevity and clarity. All right, good. I have a great question about house advantage wagering this week. So we will do a question segment. In Core Concepts, I'm going to talk about the hardest hand to play in Blackjack as I continue to focus on keeping the house advantage as small as possible. I have a Casino Wisdom number 14 for you, which uses a baseball analogy to focus on exiting with a win. The rambling segment is brief, but very informative, and I have a tough story about two young men I met that would have had better results if they had used Casino Wisdom number 35, and that's going to happen in the VIP lounge. We're going to get that started in just a minute, but some quick housekeeping first. I'm sure it's obvious that I'm still learning how to actually go and do all of this, and once again, in listening to last week's episode after the fact, I skipped some much-needed acknowledge- acknowledgments. I told you that social media and the Casino Combat YouTube channel were up and running, and they are. What I didn't mention, what I should have mentioned, is that none of that would have happened uh, without the help of two people. Uh, real life and creating this podcast have kept me pretty busy. So, Billy with the great last name and a friend of his, T-Rex, that I'm just getting to know, stepped in and took care of the social media and the YouTube tasks, so I didn't have to. Uh, I met Billy um, through Blackjack Gambling, actually. Uh, Blackjack and Gambling, maybe I should say. Um, And we've kept in touch a little bit, and he's a tech guy, kind of more in the the coding end of things, and so he jumped in and helped me out with some stuff. And and as I said, introduced me to T-Rex. So thanks, guys. I appreciate you helping with this stuff. You're the ones that know what I don't know or what I need to know, and, and I'm very grateful. As I said, I have a question segment today, so let's do questions my sons ask. What? What? Okay, this week's question is from Handsome Joe. That is actually how his email uh, address read and how he signed things. So I don't, I don't know if Joe is trying to give himself a uh, podcast call sign or um, if his last name really is Joe and his mom named him Handsome, but whatever, <laughs> it works for me. Handsome Joe it is. Um, and he asks, if the odds bet on craps, sports betting, and poker have no house advantage, why don't you use those for casino combat? That is an excellent and perceptive question. For me, there's a unique reason for each of those, and I'll try to go through them fairly quickly. First, with regards to poker, basically the house just runs the game fairly and the players play against each other, and they pay the house a commission for the house running the game. Casinos don't give very many reward points or free bets or that kind of stuff for poker. That's not really where they don't make a big profit there. They don't give a lot of stuff back to those players. So it doesn't work with my casino combat approach. Points and comps are kind of pretty key 
to to one aspect of of, of doing this. You know, kind of the uh, extreme couponing aspect of this, if you will. But good poker players can and do make money. I've often said that poker may be my retirement game because it's a bit of a slower game. But at this point, I'm not really poker guy. I'm more inclined to get into the casino, get out of the casino, win or lose, and move on unless I'm on vacation or something like that. But plenty of respect for poker players. As far as sports betting, I love it. I'm glad it's spreading all across my country. I can't wait until it comes to my state. But if it's mostly something I do for fun at this point, it's, it's it. It's just fun thing I do if I happen to be in a casino where it's available. For most of my life, it's only been available in Las Vegas. And I wasn't there enough to be serious about it. I mean, there are people who go, oh, you're in Vegas all the time. Well, compared to some people, I guess I am. But I'm there 10 or 12 days out of a year. That's not what I'm able to make a a sports betting uh, portfolio out of. Um, I'm also, completely honest, I'm not a good enough handicapper to really try to make real money um, at sports betting. The only handicapper I know, I know a few handicappers, the only one I know I trust is Gabriel, and if he recommends something to me when I'm traveling, I'm happy betting his advice. Um, and even he isn't giving much advice right now because of how strange COVID has made the sports world. So maybe in the future, hopefully in the future, but that's why I don't use sports wagering, despite the fact that there's, there's not much in the way of uh, house advantage there. Finally, craps. The odds bet in craps is the one you can make where there is no house advantage. But before you can make that bet, you have to make another bet first, and that bet does have a house advantage. So strictly speaking, taking the odds bet with no house advantage is mathematically just reducing the house advantage on the first bet. It's not fully an advantage-free wager. Now, that said, I have read several books and articles that outline a fairly simple and low house advantage set of plays for set of plays for craps. So you make a bet on the come out roll and then back that with a full odds bet with no house advantage. There you go. Content. I just taught you a solid basic strategy for playing craps. So with the uh, the rest of the other core concepts added in, craps is usable as the game of choice for doing casino combat. The only other observation I would make is that if you are going to use casino combat techniques, make sure you follow the bankroll planning correctly. The unit size for calculating the bankroll isn't the size of the initial come out bet, it's the size of the initial come out bet plus the odds bet that goes with it. And that's because the odds bet is the larger bet and that's the bet the strategy really kind of rests on, relies on if you will. So in craps, for every chip bet, you can add three, four, or five chips to the bet by taking the odds. And actually that bet is placed behind the base bet or beside it. And how many chips you can add depends on what number was rolled and on the house's rules. So a quick way to calculate your casino combat bankroll for craps play, suppose you have a $10 unit size. You have the $10 base bet plus up to five, so call it five more, $10 chips as the odds bet for a total of 60. Multiply that by 10, and then by 3, and I would recommend that for a $10 craps base bet that you have a total bankroll of $1,800. That compares to a total bankroll of $300 for $10 Baccarat or $10 Blackjack. So there we have one of the reasons I didn't gravitate toward craps early in my gambling experiences. Over the decades, 
tried a couple times, used the strategy outline above. I felt like in comparison to Blackjack, a game I really enjoy, I felt like I lost decent sums of money fairly quickly and I really wasn't having a whole lot of fun. I completely understand other people love it. I'm not closed off to it. I actually simulate different approaches to craps using an app, you know, several times a week. I'm constantly looking, I'm constantly learning, but it's just not a good fit for me. But if you listening to this are a low house advantage, craps better. There is no reason that the techniques discussed here won't work for you. And since I mentioned work, if you are that craps player, please email me at any of the show email addresses so that you can be the craps advisor to the show. I would love to have a craps advisor to the program. No question about it. Good question. Log answer. Let's use a core combat segment to look at the toughest hand in blackjack. casino combat core concepts is learning a casino game with a minimal house advantage. And as we know, blackjack is the game with the smallest house advantage at less than 0.30 when played using correct basic strategy. So I want to tear that basic strategy concept apart a little more today, getting into a more advanced look at things, getting into a more advanced way of seeing how it impacts house advantage. And so I wanted to do that by taking a look at what I consider to be the, the toughest hand in in blackjack play. The one that confuses the most people certainly and that people seem to have the most total most trouble with. Now some of the stuff on basic strategy chart is is really super easy. Not difficult to remember at all. If you're trying to memorize it, you're going to memorize it fairly quickly. Uh, for instance, you know, a great example would be you hit, which is to say take another card, if your first two cards add up to a total of eight or less and there are no aces. So eight or less, no aces, you're always going to take a card. Not that hard to remember. Or, always double if your first two cards total 11. That's another easy one. There's one hand that is so has so many different correct plays that I call it, as I said, the toughest hand in blackjack. And this hand is so difficult that Mrs. TRG has been struggling to keep it straight in her head for decades. My focus here isn't on teaching you how to play the hand. You can do that by creating flashcards. I mean, I'm going to teach you how to play the hand, but the point is to use how to play this hand as an illustration of the math and the logic behind the basic strategy chart, the reasoning behind something, and using this very difficult multifaceted play set, we get to see various aspects of that. When you start to understand all of this, it makes everything easier to learn and use in practice. So the toughest hand for a player to play in blackjack is when their first two cards are an ace and a seven for a total of 18. And since it includes an, an ace, that's also called a soft 18 because it could also be an eight if that benefited the player. Any hand that includes an ace is a soft hand because an ace can be either one or 11. And as I said, how it becomes applied depends on what would give the player the best hand. A related fun fact, over millions of hands of blackjack, the average value of your winning hand will be approximately 18 and a half. So sadly, when you are looking at an 18 like this, you are 0.5 short of having an average winning hand. And casino decks don't have any half value cards in them, trust me. So let's start going through the strategy chart for this hand. For this illustration, I'm going to be using the chart for a 4 to 8 deck game. 
We will consider both a game where the dealer stands on all 17s and a game where the dealer hits soft 17. So you have two cards, an ace and a seven. As I said, a soft 18. And you're at a game where the dealer stands on all 17s and the dealer has a two showing. So you stand, which is to say you don't take another card. In a game where the dealer hits on soft 17, you double against not only a dealer's two, but also against a three, four, five, or six. As a refresher, doubling is adding a second bet equal to or less than your original bet and only receiving one more card. The correct play in the game where the dealer stands on all 17s is also to double down on three, four, five, or six. The logic underlying the math here is pretty simple. Three, four, five, and six are bust cards for the dealer. The house will almost certainly be drawing a card and no matter what hand the player has, if the dealer busts, the player wins. So as players, we want to get more money in the game in this situation. Ace-7 is one of the plays that changes if the rules change at the, at the table that you're playing at. Not that they're going to change the rules in the middle of the table, but sometimes in a casino, one table will have one set of rules, one table will have a different set of rules. As I said, a dealer card of two becomes a double if the dealer stands on all 17s. Under either rule set, the correct play against a dealer 7 or 8 is to stand. The logic of the math is that an 18 beats a 17 if the dealer is showing a 7 and the unrevealed card is a 10. With an 8 showing, a player is simply looking to tie with the dealer. In blackjack, this tie is called a push, and no money changes hands. If the dealer is showing a 9, a 10 value card, a 10 a jack, a queen or a king, or an ace, the correct choice for the player is to draw a card and attempt to improve their hand because the dealer has a strong card showing. So with the A7 hand, we have a double against small dealer cards, and we really need to be on top of our game and know what rules we're playing, because we need to remember that against a two, the play of the hand changes depending on the table rules for how the dealer handles a soft 17. And then we have hands we need to stand on, and then we have, and then we need to hit and potentially ruin the hand if the dealer is showing a strong card with a 9-10, jack, queen, king, or an ace showing. Because there's so much to remember, I see a variety of errors in real-life play. Players will not double against a 2 or a 3. They will not hit against a 9, or a 10-value card, or an ace. Or worse yet, they take a card against those dealers up card, and then they get scared because their new total is 14, 15, 16, and they don't want to draw again and potentially bust their hand and be out. I will tell you that many, many, many times, as I play this hand correctly, I draw the first card, ending up with maybe a 15. And then the next card, I end up with a 5 for a total of 20, or some other combination where my final hand is better than the 18 I started with. I've said many times that listening to an explanation like this makes the game sound intimidating, and confusing, and difficult. And in reality, if you don't want to memorize all of this, you don't have to. You just consult the strategy chart while you're playing, have the discipline to make the correct play. But I find that if you kind of understand some of this additional background, then it makes the play go much easier, it makes the natural learning go much quicker, and it gives you a sense of why you're doing what you're doing. Now we are ready for a moment of casino wisdom. Casino wisdom number 14 is Try for singles and doubles, and the home runs will happen. Gabriel and I settled on using this baseball metaphor early in our friendship. We would often see people turn a decent win 
into a big loss because they wanted a big win. They didn't want just a decent win. They didn't want just an okay win. They wanted that home run win. That as big as it can possibly be win. And they were like a baseball player that's constantly swinging for the fences and they're racking up a ton of strikeouts in the process of trying to get a home run here or there. And certainly I know that in baseball, as I understand it, there are sometimes that those things you want the player to do, the player's coach to do those things. But we're not baseball players. This is just a metaphor. For blackjack players who can and do play regularly, our knowledge and experiences tell us that when we have won a small but meaningful amount, it's better to walk away than to end up losing a significant amount. That's a single or a double using the baseball metaphor. And we find that if we do that, sometimes we just keep winning and winning, and we do get that metaphorical home run. Let me provide a, a simple illustration. Suppose you walk into a casino with $450 and you plan to play $15 Baccarat. Now it's completely possible that you're going to win thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars with just those $15 bets and that $450 bankroll. But it's not very likely. It's certainly not probable that that's what's going to happen. It is not particularly unusual, however, for you to win $150. That's not a completely uncommon thing. That's a pretty normal thing. That's the point where I recommend you use Casino Wisdom number 14 and leave the table with a single, a small modest win, a successful at bat, if you will. And I'm not saying get up immediately. I'm saying if you lose the next two, certainly lose the next three, then get up and leave. You still have $105 at that point. You had, you had a single. Good for you. You can come back and do it again in a few days or next week. And that time, maybe the win will go a little longer and it'll be a double or a home run. Sometimes you will hit a home run and have a big win, but in gambling, it's more useful to get on base with a single or a double than it is to strike out and leave with a loss. So that's Casino Wisdom number 14. It was a pretty straightforward travel week, so let's ramble. So, with work and real life requiring a little more of my attention this week, the side hustle became both a little more to the side and required a little more hustle. This could be almost one of those, I gambled, I lost, I left segments, but I think there is useful information here if you have the context of how I gambled, lost, and left. I stopped at my local casino early in the week and picked up a carry-on suitcase and a small free bet. The only tables available were six to five blackjack tables. So I waited a few minutes to see if any seats would open up at a better table with better rules. And when that didn't happen, um, I played my free bet on black. <laughs> I played my free bet on black on a roulette table and lost and left. The last thing I wanted to do was turn that free suitcase into a $200 suitcase by playing at a table with poor rules and losing. Later in the week, I returned for another free bet and four free spins on an $8 slot machine. I managed to find a seat at a table with decent rules, and the gambling started out rough. I lost four hands out of five at the end of a shoe, and then four hands straight at the start of a new shoe, which I kind of only, only, kind of only played on the assumption that even if I went to another table, I was just getting another shoe, so I'd try to fix things at the first table. Ended up after losing those four, left the table, found another one, and I had to do a partial rebuy because I wanted to make sure I started with 10 bets and had enough money on the table to, to have success. And just rough. I stayed in the game, but you know, for over an hour, it was, it was a struggle. The first three, four shoes were a real mess. 
And then I went on a run, winning nine hands in a row. And after the second bet, I started pressing and continuing to press. I had a blackjack that was at a, at a taller bet. I had uh, a three-way split with a double um, with a taller bet. And then I lost a hand or two and hit an exit point, And I ended up leaving with more than a day's pay. And, and that worked out fine. And I finished up the week with a solo trip to Casino One uh, with a room comp. And this was just another struggle. And honestly, a test of discipline. It was the first night of NFL football. The NFL playoffs are underway. Um, should have been a fun time to be in a casino that wasn't super busy. So I had lots of table choices. And here we go. Keep an eye on professional sports. Be in the casino be getting some points, be doing some gambling, hopefully winning some money, and that's not what happened at all. I'd enter a game, and over the course of 30 minutes or an hour, I'd hit an exit point on the negative side, and I'd leave with a portion of my original buy-in, and I'd get something to eat, or I'd take a break in my room and do some work, and I'd try again, and I'd quickly exit again. And after several of those, I finished the evening very early watching the end of the NFL game in my room. But, you know, that's fine. Gabriel joins me the next morning, and I tried one more table with him and managed to stay in the game with him and have some fun for a couple hours, but ultimately exited that table with a small loss. The end of that hole, overnight, I had lost two and a half days' pay for the trip, which meant I lost and spent a day and a half's pay this week. So I had a one-day win and then a two-and-a-half-day loss. Even with the suitcase and the free bets and the free spins and a comped hotel room, no way around it. This was a losing week. Losing happens. We don't have to like it. We do need to learn how to deal with it. And in this case, I leaned hard on my core concepts and my preparation. I stayed disciplined, leaving the table with a small loss repeatedly to keep the loss manageable, and my bankroll remained intact so that I could try again this coming week. Had I tried to force the issue and left each table with no chips instead of some chips, a weekly loss of 1.5 days pay could have easily been more than a week's pay. And I'd have been going into the safe for previous wins to replenish the bankroll. So that's why I do these travel segments. As much as it's fun when they're just fun, and oh, I got free this, and I got free that, and oh, I won this. It, it, maybe those are more fun for me to tell, and a little less tough on the ego. But the reason I do this is to show you real results from applying these techniques regularly, week in and week out. And that includes saying straight up, I lost, here's how, here's why. So having said all that, I am certainly ready to adjourn to the VIP lounge. Oh, a little bit of the bubbly. Come on in, the lounge is open. I hope you know where everything is. I think you probably do. I think I'm going to pour something a little bit stronger for myself than a local handcrafted soda, but please help yourself to whatever works for you and enjoy. It's pretty common for me to sit in the VIP lounge, you know, with the world's kindest man and the human sports almanac and talk about things we've seen on the casino floor that day. And sometimes they're really fun. Maybe a guy's winning big in high limit betting thousands and thousands a hand or maybe it's a big slot jackpot being paid out as we're walking by, and other times it's something maybe a little less fun. And I saw one of those less fun things this week, but I do think it's informative, and I thought I would share it with you today, and, and hopefully we all benefit from that. And it, it's fun because 
this is the way I often do things in the lounge with other friends. So this week, during my one winning table, I was playing with one other younger gentleman. He was making bets in the $75 to $200 range. And he's losing more than he's winning, and as a result, he's rebuying to stay in the game. A friend of his stops to check on him, and I learn, as they were discussing things, that he was having a rough day and was down over $800. So after a few minutes, he lost a $75 bet, he counts his remaining chips, and makes a single $300 bet. And he looks at his friend and says, All in, last hand, I'm done. And his first two cards are a pair of sevens. So he pulls more money out of various pockets and gets together the money to split those sevens into two hands. And then he gets a three. So he wants to double, and he should double his ten. That's the correct strategy. And as he digs things out, he's only got 200 bucks. So he says, I'll double for less, which he's allowed to do. Casino's happy to let him do that. But his friend says, oh, no, I got you. Don't. I, I got this. And he pulls out $100 and makes the, the bet a full $300 double. And the next car is another seven. And the, the friend provides the $300 to split that. So now we are at three hands with a double, a total of four $300 bets. I'm going to spare you the rest of the play-by-play, -play, but it included two trips to the ATM, and the two friends ended up with four hands, three of them doubled, with a total wager of $2,100. They won six of the seven bets, and the seventh bet was a push, so they won $1,800 on a single hand. A huge celebration happened, and their, and their winnings are paid out, and the player at the table with me is saying, all right, all right, got it all back, and a small profit, all on one hand. And the friend who isn't playing has just less than $1,000 in chips in his hands. So he's got a nice profit even with the money that he provided. So, of course, since they don't know Casino Wisdom number 35, they want to play more than they want to win. And since they don't know today's Casino Wisdom number 28, they don't want to settle for that metaphorical double that they just hit. No, they want to go for the whole home run. They want to go for the big win. They want to go for that five, seven, eight, ten thousand $10,000 win now. So the friend joins the game, and neither of them makes a bet less than 150 bucks. They lost a couple, and then their play, which up until that point had been reasonably close to correct basic strategy, now starts to become erratic, and it now starts to become desperate. And any win is celebrated to the extreme, and each hand lost increased the desperation. Hands that shouldn't be doubled were in an attempt to win another big win. Hands that should have been hit and would have been hit when the gentleman and I started at the table are not being hit out of fear of losing. And the friend leaves the table with no money and a fair amount of anger. And then the original player lost his last chip, checks his pocket for more cash, and found an ATM receipt instead. Now I have no way of knowing what the number on the ATM receipt said. But they seemed to really bring him back to the real world fairly abruptly, and he left with his head down. Since I don't know either of them, and they didn't ask for any advice, they didn't ask my opinion, all I could do was kind of watch the train wreck happen in slow motion. It wasn't my place in my mind to give unsolicited advice to strangers. Some of these VIP lounge stories are just stories. And some of them are stories that teach. Casino wisdoms are my knowledge and my experiences that become a tactic for beating casinos in some way on an ongoing and regular basis. This very true story illustrates two of those casino wisdoms. I will try to do a fun story in the VIP lounge next week. I have spoken. Everything you heard here is true from a certain point of view. It's time for leaving. I hope you understand. I was born a rambling man. 
If you have questions, send them to questions at CasinoCombat.com. If you have techniques to share, send them to what I do at CasinoCombat.com. Don't forget, we spell combat with a K. Love it, hate it, it don't matter. Please share with your friends. Goodbye, everyone.